if you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 4. Feel free to use table of contents if you need to. Mark chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I want to welcome those of you in Arlington and Prince William and Loudon and Moco, as well as others online. It's good to be together around God's Word. I actually want to start today by taking you on a journey with me for a minute to the metropolitan area where I'm originally from, Metro Atlanta, Georgia. But travel all the way back with me to 1886 when a pharmacist had come up with a concoction, a drink that he was convinced would heal various diseases, cure addictions, various disorders. Basically, he had created this syrup and combined it with carbonated water, which many people in that day thought promoted good health. And so he walks into a drugstore in Atlanta in 1886 with this concoction, and he looks for people who would be interested in buying a glass. And on that day, he sells the first glass of his concoction for five cents. And over the next year, on average, on the days he was selling this at this drugstore, about nine glasses were sold a day. Nine glasses, five cents a glass. At the end of that first year, his total sales were $50. Problem was, his costs were $70. So he lost 20 bucks on the year, trying to convince people of this drink. That was 1886 in one drugstore in one city. Fast forward to today, like this day, February 20th, 2022, and today alone, two billion glasses of drinks will be enjoyed associated with that first drink that was sold on that day. Two billion glasses in over 200 countries. And the sales are a little, a bit different. So instead of $50 over the course of a year, sales total in one year about $35 billion, which is more than the revenue of approximately 75% of the world's countries. And what is the product that was sold for the first time on that day? Coca-Cola. This seemingly insignificant, inconsequential, unimportant little drink for five cents in a glass one day that would lead to products that have affected multitudes of lives all around the world. Just in our country alone, did you know, in the United States alone, Coke products, on average, contribute about 11 pounds of sugar to each one of our lives. <laughs> this is a company that is pouring this much sugar into your body, on average, every single year. 
and not just in America, around the world. Did you know 94% of the world's population recognizes this logo? This red and white logo, 94%, that's seven plus billion people in the world who recognize this logo. And this is the picture I want to put in your mind from the start of our time together today. Something that seemed really small and inconsequential that grew over just a little over a century to be something so almost universal and impactful. But I want want to show you a picture today of Jesus talking about something that many in the world today and some of you who are listening right now might think is so small, but has literally the power, one, to affect, impact your life for the next 10 billion years and beyond. And not just your life, but people in every single nation and people group in the world for all of eternity. So, let me show it to you. Mark chapter 4. This is right where Mike left us off last week with a story about soils and seeds. So, let's just dive right in. And if you're taking notes, write this down. I'm going to put this up on the screen. A parable. So here's what a parable is. We saw a parable last week. We're going to see a few more today. A simple, practical story that illustrates significant spiritual truth. So just a simple, practical story. I should often, I should add, it's often framed as a simile. Go back to English class for a minute. A simile comparison using either like or as. So a parable is a practical story, often framed as a simile, that illustrates significant, eternal spiritual truth. So we're going to read a few different parables today. Listen to the language. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And Jesus starts telling a story about scattering seed, much like we saw last week. Or look down later at Mark chapter 4, verse 30. Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we be used for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. So Jesus tells a simple practical story about a mustard seed grain and what it grows into. And Jesus used a variety of stories like this. It would have made perfect sense to his hearers. Stories about fishing or farming or other things that would be familiar to them which is key for us in this gathering today. If we're going to understand parables Jesus told 2,000 years ago, we've got to start by putting ourselves in the shoes of the people who heard them first. Let me give you three quick tips for understanding parables rightly because they are so often misunderstood and have been throughout church history. Like one example, back in church history, it was almost commonly accepted. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, if you remember that story, That the man who was beat up on the side of the road represented a sinner. The priest who passed by him represented the law. The Levite who passed by him represented the sacrifices. Jesus was the Samaritan who pays the bill. The N stands for the church where believers are cared for. The two silver coins that he pays are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the innkeeper is Peter. Or maybe Paul. Problem is, Jesus never said that's what it meant. 
But we can look at all kinds of details. Well, this means that. This means that. So we've got to make sure not to read into parables all kinds of things that Jesus never intended himself. So here's three quick tips. I'll put them on the screen here when you think about parables. One, listen from the hearer's perspective. We've got to step into the shoes of the people who first heard these simple stories and try to think, how how did they hear them? What stuck out to them? How would they have responded at different points in the story? Like what emotions might have risen up in them when they heard the word Samaritan. If we don't feel the visceral reaction in a Jewish mind when you heard the word Samaritan in that story, we'll miss the whole point of the story. I think about a time when I was sitting in a Middle Eastern country. I was sharing the story of the prodigal son with a Muslim man. His eyes lit up when I shared how the father went running after the son. And the Muslim man, he interrupted me and said, no way. A father who had been shamed like that by his son would never get up and run to him. And all of a sudden, I was beginning to realize how stunning this story actually is. I think about one other time I was in a uh, North African desert with uh, a group of Bedouin shepherds. And I'm talking with them about the parable of the lost sheep. I mean, who am I? I'm like this suburban guy. And I'm sharing with shepherds about sheep and shepherding. And as I tell them this story, like all these details, they start discussing. It just came alive, stepping into their shoes. So as best as possible, we need to listen from their perspective. Then second, look for the main point. Usually there's one main point in a parable. At most, two, maybe three, but we need to be careful not to read all kinds of things in every single detail of this story. So listen from the hearer's perspective, look for the main point, and then let the truth change your life. The whole point of parables is to change the way we think about something, to use kind of a a backdoor route through story to all of a sudden open our eyes to a different way to look at our lives, different way to look at the world. That's exactly what Jesus is doing in Mark chapter four. He's talking about his kingdom. He's trying to help us see that his kingdom is so different than the kingdoms of this world and the way we are all prone to think, which actually leads to the other term I wanna make sure to define before we dive into Mark four and see its significance for our lives. What is the kingdom of God? So we saw this term in the very first chapter of Mark. This was months ago when we saw Jesus' first words in this Bible book. Do you remember? Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the what? The kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? The kingdom of God is at hand. And then when we came last week to the parable of the soils, Jesus said to his disciples, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. There's a secret to the kingdom. And now this week, we're going to come to the same language. Verse 26, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And verse 30, Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? So what does that phrase mean? And I want to give you a quick definition to hold on to, not just as we walk through the gospel of Mark together as a church, but as you read through the Bible and you see this phrase, what does it mean? And I should add, you'll oftentimes see the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven or kingdom of Christ. Those are not three different kingdoms. Those are all basically interchangeable terms talking about the same kingdom. 
So what is the kingdom of God? Write this down. The kingdom of God is the redemptive rule and reign of God in Jesus. Now, as soon as you hear that, you might be thinking, I don't know, I don't even, you didn't help me with that definition. I don't even know what that means. Redemptive what? And kind of sounds like we're in seminary. Like, what does this have to do with my life? Like, hang with me. Because this is so significant for you understanding your life, you understanding everything that's going on in the world right now. So the fundamental word or words in this definition are rule and reign. So when we talk about a kingdom, we're obviously talking about a king who rules and reigns. A kingdom has a king. And here, the king is God. It's the kingdom of God. So we're not talking about the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and King Salman there. We're talking about the kingdom of God, where God rules and God reigns. Now I put redemptive here because, well, think about it. God has rule and reign over everything in all the universe at all times, right? So in that sense, you could say the kingdom of God includes everything in all the universe because God rules over everything in all the universe. And while that's true, that's not the primary way Jesus is using this phrase. Instead, Jesus is talking about how God is redeeming a world that is full of evil and suffering and sinners, a fallen world. So a little background behind this word redemptive, especially if you're uh, visiting today with friends or family, maybe you're exploring Christianity, or maybe you've heard this term and you're not really sure what it means even though you've been in church for a long time. This word kind of points us to the big picture story of the Bible, how in the very beginning, God created a good world and men and women in it, made in his image, including every single one of us, made in the image of God for relationship with God. Like we are made for relationship with the king over it all. Loving relationship, enjoying his love, loving him. The problem is all of us have rebelled against the king. Every one of us has turned aside from the king's ways to our own ways. We've rebelled against him. The Bible calls that sin. And our sin and rebellion has separated us from the king. As a result of our sin, we will die. And if nothing changes, we will experience eternity in judgment due our sin. But the good news of the Bible is that God, the king, has not left us alone in this state. God, the king, has come to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus, who lived a sinless life, a life of no sin. And then even though he had no sin to die for, he chose to die on a cross to pay the price for sin. And then, three days later, he rose from the grave in victory over sin and death. So that anyone, anywhere in the world, no matter who you are, what you have done, how you've rebelled against the king, if you will place your trust in the love of Jesus, then God will forgive you of all your sin and restore you to relationship with him. Amen. That is redemption. Amen. That's what... the. The word redeemed means to pay a price to 
free someone, to rescue, to deliver, to save someone. And the good news of the Bible is that God has sent his son to pay the price for your rescue for your freedom, for your deliverance from sin and judgment. God has made a way for you to be restored to relationship with him forever. Jesus is the redeemer who will make you new if you will trust in him. I invite you, really I urge you, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus as king, as redeemer, to do that today. Your eternity hinges on how you respond to Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. This is so much more important than Coke. This this is a kingdom that determines our destiny forever and ever. And the beauty of what we're reading about in Mark is how the kingdom has come and we can be a part of it. Look at this, Mark chapter 10, verse 15. We're jumping ahead. We'll get to this. Uh, at some point, uh, when Jesus says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. What does that mean? It means with childlike trust, when you embrace the redemptive rule and reign of God through Jesus in your life, you enter into eternal life with God as the king of your life. In other words, you experience life the way you are intended to experience it. God as king over your life. And then you start to realize, Jesus doesn't just redeem my life, but he he is doing this work of redemption in others' lives too in ways that affect our relationships with each other and in ways that affect the way we live in this world. The more we submit to Jesus as king in our lives and our families and in communities of the king called churches, the way that affects every facet of our lives. I was in the store yesterday getting some Coke, and uh, I ran into a couple who introduced themselves to me, involved in our re-engage marriage ministry, and they just began to share with me about how Jesus had not just changed their lives, but had changed, healed, restored, redeemed their marriage. Amen. Like we're talking about the Redeemer who has power to heal broken marriages. And, and the implications just start to flow from his power as redeemer, which leads to, so we'll keep going on kingdom for just a minute here, but I want, want us to see this, like on one hand, when you, whenever you see kingdom of God, realize that the kingdom of God is a present reality because the king, Jesus, has come and his redemption is spreading, like right now. This is why Jesus announced his coming in this way. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king had come and he was demonstrating the delivering, renewing, redeeming rule and reign of God, healing people of diseases, delivering the demon possessed, raising the dead, most importantly, forgiving people of their sins, restoring them to relationship with God. The king had come. And good news, 2,000 years later, his redemption is still spreading. His redemption is represented all across this room. Other locations, people, many of you who are online are gathered. For everyone who has put your faith in Jesus the King, you have been forgiven of all your sins. You have been filled with the Spirit of God. You are being made new every single day. You have power in you for whatever you face in this world. And you have hope of coming full redemption, which 
which leads to the second part here. So the kingdom of God is a present reality. He has come. His redemption is spreading. And it's a future hope because the king is coming back. And his redemption will one day be complete. One day the king will return and he's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth with him where his perfect justice and his perfect righteousness will rule and reign everywhere. And there won't be any more sin and there won't be any more sorrow and no more pain and no more hurt and no more tears. He'll wipe everyone from our eyes because he, the king, will reign over all. And his redemption will be complete for all who have put their faith in him. Old gone, new will have come. <laughs> All right, we haven't even gotten to the text. But so here's the deal. Here's the deal. As we come to the text then, this is where I want us to feel this. Don't miss this. Like right now, in this room, in the places where we're gathered, in this moment, right now, we are meeting with the king. Amen. Yes. <laughs> this is... It's not just Sunday tradition we're going through here. Not just, uh, I guess we should do that today. We've gathered to meet with the king. And he, he, follow this, he is speaking to us right now. That the king has a word for us. And, And this word has the potential to bear fruit and grow in our lives and in the world in ways far beyond what we can imagine at this moment. Amen. If we'll just listen. So, so now, now let's listen to what he says. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. All right, let's pause there. So what is God, the king, who rules and reigns over all? He desires to redeem us, transform us, make us new through Jesus. What is he saying to you and me right now? Write this down. He's saying, one, humbly and eagerly receive my word. Humbly and eagerly receive my word. That's what the king is telling us right now. Telling you right where you're sitting And me, even as I'm saying this, Jesus is saying, if you have ears, hear. Like, listen, pay attention to what you're hearing, he says. Don't get distracted right now. Pay attention. Your life depends on it. And in verse 21, Jesus compares himself to a lamp. He says, I've come to shine light for you. In a dark world, if, if you just listen to my word, you will see The picture he's painting is clear. Like we live in a fallen, dark world where sin and evil reign. And as a result, our thinking is so warped, so skewed. And Jesus is saying, I've come to bring you light if you will just listen. And he says in verse 24, if you'll listen humbly and eagerly to my word, you'll receive more and more and more light in the world. 
But if you ignore my word, if you reject it, or just don't pay attention to it, then you'll experience more and more and more darkness, even what you have taken from you. It's a pretty powerful picture. And let me try to illustrate it. Imagine being on a journey in a place you don't know in pitch black darkness. And somebody says to you, I I have light that can can help you on your way. And you say, no, I'm going to figure this thing out on my own. And you fumble through, running into all sorts of things, because because you're going to figure it out on your own. And your pride, somebody offering you light, and you saying, no, I want to do this on my own. Like that's the way so many people in the world are living at this moment. And this is the picture, quite honestly, of so many people in this room, other rooms, where we're gathered right now. You say, I don't know. I mean, I'm not telling God I don't want to hear from him. Well, how much time are you spending listening to his word? Are you opening it up every day? Is that the first thing you do in the morning? Meditating on it all day, night? You humbly, eagerly receiving it? Or actually, are you? Are you running after and busyness so many things in this world? Focusing your mind on so many trivial things in this world and just running around in the dark in the process. And Jesus is saying, I have light for you. Like if you'll just receive it, I'll have, I'll show you how to live. I'll show you how to experience life. Like you want happiness. I've created this in you. I know how to make you happy. I know how to fulfill your heart. And don't reject that light. I'm giving it to you. And the reality is, once we start to receive it, humbly and eagerly, Jesus says, I have more for you. I have more. (laughs) And he just keeps giving more and more light that he just pours out on us. He says, I want to help you live. This is a gift and a picture of his love for us. And it really represents two ways to live, right? Like one, we could say, no, I don't want it. Either outright say that or functionally, day by day. Just focus on our phones and our jobs and our stuff and our TV and our Netflix and everything else that the world fills us with and we're ignoring the light that the king desires to give to us and don't miss it it's not just a picture of darkness that that leads to in this world you reject the word of the king please hear this loud and clear you reject the word of the king this will be your destiny forever and ever outer darkness is one of the words Jesus uses to describe hell A picture of judgment for all those who have spurned the word of the king, who have ignored the word of the king. So this is one way for you to live. 
The other way for you to live is to receive his word humbly and eagerly and to experience light. Like light, his light shining on you, leading you, guiding you, providing for you, satisfying you. Which way are you going to live? It's the king saying, throw these down here. It's the king saying, I've given you such a gift. I've given you light for your life. Humbly and eagerly receive it day in and day out. Rise in the morning and meditate on this word. Do it all day, all night. Meditate. This word brings life. Teenagers, believe this. This is better than anything you will see anywhere on social media, on this app. That app. This word is better, I promise. And adults, let's show them it's better. Let's show them it's better than all the stuff this world offers and all the busyness we run after, all the triviality. This, this is life and light if we'll just humbly and eagerly Receive it. Like I, I have uh, shared a couple weeks ago how uh, I and my family have been walking through some exhausting days. And I'll share more at an appropriate time. I so appreciate how many of you have encouraged me and my family. I would, just, I would ask for your prayers. Just pray for God's help. And uh, God knows. And, uh, but I, I do, though, want to stand before you today and testify that every single morning over the last week, two, three, four, without fail, every single morning, including this morning, I have opened up this book and I have found light just waiting for me amidst, amidst confusion and uncertainty and doubt and darkness. I, I found strength just waiting for me in my weakness. I found peace just waiting for me to overcome anxiousness and worry. I've found comfort and encouragement and endurance and guidance and joy. I've found light. And if you were to look in my journal, which you'll never look in my journal, but amidst wrestling through a variety of things, you would see over and over again just prayers of thanksgiving for God's word. I love this word. God, thank you for this word. It is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And, and the news I want to share with you today is it's here for you too. Right where you're saying, I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know all you're going through. But I do know God loves you. And he has given you light. So humbly and eagerly receive it. Meditate on it. Don't spend your life trying to figure it out on your own. When your king, your creator, is saying, I'm generous with my light. How are you going to live? How you answer that question, whether you humbly and eagerly receive his word, will fundamentally determine the level of light you have in your life. And God the King is inviting you to be with him and to hear from him, to be led by his light. Don't spurn that invitation. That's foolishness. That's that's first message from the King. Second confidently and patiently trust my work. That's what he's saying to us right now. The king in this gathering is telling us, confidently and patiently trust my work. I love this next parable. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Ah, what a simple picture, story. Man goes out and he throws some stuff on the ground. Just 
throws some little seeds out there. Then what does he do? He sleeps and he gets up. Night and day. So he sleeps and gets up, and he sleeps and gets up. That's all he does, sleeps and rises. And meanwhile, what does the seed do? The seed sprouts and grows. And the man, he has no clue how. The earth produces by itself. What did you do, bro? Well, I went to sleep, and I woke up. And I did that, like, many, many times. And... (laughs) All of a sudden, there was a blade. Then there was an ear. Then there was full grain in the ear. Then the grain was ripe. And the harvest came. And all I did was sleep and rise. Jesus says, this is how my kingdom works. As my word, seed, is planted, Jesus says, my word does miraculous work. All by itself. Yes. In, in, in our lives, like what we just saw, humbly, eagerly receive this word and confidently, patiently trust it to work in your life. Knowing it may not be extravagant day after day. It's not like a farmer plants a seed one day and the next day it's this huge plant. No, he's patiently, confidently trusting. And so, yeah, you rise in the morning, meditate on the word tomorrow, all day long. Don't think, okay, all of a sudden, super Christian. Like just day by day by day by day by day, and God's word will do miraculous work in your heart, in your mind, in your life, and through your life. Through your life, as you sow this seed of God's word in others' lives around you, in your family, don't underestimate mom, dad, that seed you're sowing in a child's life, or vice versa, children, what you're pouring into your parents' lives. Friends, families, neighbor, neighbors, co-workers, people you just meet this week. Don't underestimate the power of God to do miraculous work through his word. By itself, like just give the word and see what it does. It's not like this farmer is like planting the seed in the ground and going back the next day and like digging it up to make sure it's still there and blowing on it or doing whatever else, frantically running around. He's trusting this word has power. Like I, I was reminded of this. Heather went to a funeral yesterday in Georgia for one of her uncles, and I couldn't help but to think about when her mom died a few years ago. Uh, and some of you have heard me tell this story, but I... Ever since Heather and I met and we started dating, Heather had asked me to pray with her for her mom because she didn't seem to have a relationship with Jesus. It could be religious but, and very kind, but just was actually pretty cold toward spiritual conversations. So we prayed and prayed and prayed year after year after year. And Heather would write her notes and give her books, new Bibles, just looking for every opportunity to sow seeds of God's word in her mom's heart until one day, over 10 years later, Heather and I were married at this point. We were on vacation with her family. Heather's mom got up early on the first morning to read her Bible. And Heather said, Mom, what are you doing? And they started talking. And long story short, she had read something we'd given her. It had finally clicked. Her heart in that moment was humbled and softened. She put her trust in Jesus, and she entered into the kingdom. 
And now she was doing what you do when you're in the kingdom. You get up to meet with the king. She started listening to my sermons as she exercised. And, I mean, that's a lot of exercise. Those are not short sermons. Like, I don't know why you think that's so funny. Actually, some of you don't think that's funny at all. You're like, that's not funny. So anyway, but so she's just soaking in the word. She started sharing the gospel with people where she shopped. A harvest had come. And I, I had the privilege of baptizing Heather's mom one Sunday morning and just a, less than two months after that, she died suddenly from a brain aneurysm. And I was thinking about that. I want to share that story with you today just to encourage you to confidently and patiently trust God's work through his word in your life and in others' lives. And that mom or dad that you're still praying for, or that child, young or old, that you're praying for, or other family member, grandparent, cousin, aunt, uncle, or that friend you shared with over and over and over again to trust that word, she keeps sowing that seed. That neighbor, that coworker, again, somebody you meet this week, don't underestimate the power of this word to do miraculous work in people's lives. You can trust this word to do that kind of work. So just trust confidently, patiently. And can I add just one thing here amidst a season personally where I feel like doing a lot of waiting and I so want to make some certain things happen. It was really good to read this parable this week and to remember, to be reminded by the king that in our waiting, we can trust God is working in ways we don't see, in ways we could never manufacture, in ways only he can work, which means we can sleep at night and we can rest as we wait on him with patience and confidence. I hope that's a helpful word for some of you today. Yes. And it leads right into the last parable in the chapter, verse 30. Verse 30. He said, well, what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. And when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. What a picture. A tiny seed. Like picture a grain of sand put in the ground that grows up and becomes this plant, bush, tree with large branches. Just think about the proportion there from one tiny seed. And then think about that on a grand scale with hundreds and thousands and millions of seeds. You know what's really interesting? We don't have time to, to dive into this, go exploring in Scripture right now, but I, I'll just point out when you see this picture of large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade, you look back in Ezekiel chapter 17, there was a promise of Jesus to come. It said under his rule and his reign, all the nations, people from all the nations would be brought to salvation and the nations are described in Ezekiel 17 as birds coming to lodge in a tree. Same thing in Ezekiel 31, Daniel chapter 4, when King Nebuchadnezzar is having dreams about his kingdom, the nations and the peoples of the world are depicted as birds nestling in a tree. So the imagery here in the story is not accidental. Jesus is saying to his disciples then and to us now, this kingdom that starts much like a small seed in your life, like put yourself in their shoes, like these 
disciples, a small group of ragtag disciples hearing Jesus say these words, they had no idea that 2,000 years later, we'd be in this room filled with billions of people who've been brought into the kingdom that started just like that and then realized that same seed is in your heart. It's in your heart, right where you're sitting. For all who put your trust in Jesus, no how young, old you are, this seed is in your heart, in your life, to bear fruit far beyond what you could ask or imagine. And together, like we're a part of a kingdom that will one day, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, include people from every nation, tribe, and language nestled under the branches of this king, this kingdom. So, what is God saying to us right now? Then he's saying, humbly, eagerly receive my word, confidently, patiently trust my work, and spread the good news of my kingdom everywhere in the world. Like this seed, this word is not just for you to soak in. It is for you to scatter. Makes no sense to have seed as a farmer and keep it in your pocket. Go out in a field and just walk around with it in your pocket. Yet this is the Christian life for so many people. Don't do it. Don't hold seeds in your pocket. Like you have the light that brings life in a dark world. Don't put it under a basket, under a bed. The king saying, I've commissioned you to go and spread the good news. Tell somebody, it's just, he's saying right now to all of us, tell somebody this week, tell that friend of yours, that fellow classmate, that neighbor, that coworker, that friend or family member you've been sharing with, write another letter, like share with somebody the good news that the king has come. And he will change their life for all of eternity. He will forgive them of all their sin, restore them to relationship with God, the King, if they will trust in him. Tell somebody that this week. Don't keep that to yourself. And don't stop here. I spread this good news all over the world so that all the nations might be brought in. There's 3.2 billion people in the world who still haven't heard the good news of Jesus, the King, and his kingdom. Church, we've got to change that. NBC family, with all the resources we have in one of the most significant cities in the world where the nations have come, where we have so many opportunities to go to the nations. Let's spend our lives and our families and our church family spreading the good news of the kingdom of God everywhere in the world. That's what the king is telling us right now, and it's, it's where we come back to this bottle of Coke, this drink that started so small and grew to be something so big and so influential and so universally known. I've told you before about a, a friend of mine named Jonathan. He's the person in my life, probably more than any other, whom God used to open my eyes and teach me about unreached people in the world. And a little bit of his background, he and his wife Carla got married, they had a little baby girl, and as soon as they had her, they moved overseas to Uzbekistan. They moved in with an, an Uzbek family. Just imagine this, newly married, newly parenting couple, moving in in a small house with an Uzbek family to learn the language and learn how to live there and share the gospel in a place where very few people knew the good news of the king. So they started doing it, started sharing, and they started seeing people come to know Jesus and seeing churches started and 
multiplying. They particularly saw uh, God's spirit move among the deaf community and the part of Uzbekistan where they were. There's a lot of persecution, secret police, that made spreading the gospel hard, but as the gospel was spreading in the deaf community, they, were, they would be sharing the gospel out in public, and the secret police didn't know what they were sharing, and so it was just kind of spreading wide open in the sovereignty of God. So they spent years there and then moved to Afghanistan. They moved to Kabul, where they spread the good news of the kingdom in a really, really hard place there for many years. And then I had the opportunity to serve alongside Jonathan as a pastor, and he was one day diagnosed with a brain tumor and then went to be with the Lord. But you know where it all started for Jonathan? This zeal to spread the good news of the kingdom in places like Uzbekistan or Afghanistan. After he graduated college, he and a college buddy of his decided they were going to go on a trip around the world for a year. And they said, let's go to all the kinds of places that if we get married and have a family, we probably would not take a family vacation. So just remote, kind of hard regions of the world. And so that's what they did. And they were in this one really remote mountainous region, and they met some missionaries who asked Jonathan and his friend if they would go with some translators and do some survey work among some people in really remote villages. Jonathan and his friend said, yeah, we'll do that. So they go into this village. They gathered some villagers together, and through a translator, they started asking some questions. They said, how were we created? And the villagers said, we don't know. And they asked, well, who sends rain for the crops? How does the rain come? They said, we don't, we don't know that either. Then they asked, what happens when we die? And the people looked back at Jonathan and his friend and said, no one has come to tell us about that yet. They finished their questions. Before they left, the people invited Jonathan and his friend to come into a house, and they did, and they sat down for a few minutes, and the host came over to them with a drink, and you'll never guess what it was. It was a bottle of Coke. And that's when it hit Jonathan that a bottling company in Atlanta, Georgia, has done a better job of getting brown sugar water to the nations than the church of Jesus Christ has done with the greatest news in the world. Surely this is not tolerable for us, that 94% of the world's population sees this logo and knows what it means, and three billion people in the world don't know about the love of Jesus Christ for them. Surely that needs to change, and surely God has brought you and I into the kingdom to be a part of making that change a reality. So let's be finished and done. First with casual Christianity that kind of gives a nod every once in a while to the Word of God. This is light. Live it up in the light. Receive this humbly and eagerly every day. Soak it in. Trust it to do work in your life, and let's trust it to do work in the world. Let's spread it like we believe it's true, like we believe we want people in the kingdom. Let's give our lives and our families and our church family making the greatest news in the world known to all the nations of the world. God's put us in this city. He's brought so many nations here. Let's be active in spreading the good news of the kingdom. Get your hands out of the 
the pocket, sow the seed, and then let's look for opportunities to give and to live and to pray and to go where this gospel is not yet gone so that a much better product, the gospel of Jesus Christ, might be made known among the peoples of the world. And he, our king, when that happens, what does it say? Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. <laughs> we want to see our king. We want to see him praised by all the peoples of the world. So let's give our lives. Let's give our Let's be finished and done with casual, comfortable Christianity that ignores the nations of the world. Let's give our lives to what matters most in anticipation of the day when our king receives the praise he's due from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And everything that is wrong will be made right by our Redeemer. Will you bow your heads with me? Just all across this room and all the places where we're gathered, we just bow your head. And I want to ask you this question. Are you following Jesus the King? Have you submitted your life to the rule of Jesus the King, the reign of Jesus the King? If the answer to that question is not Yes, in your heart. I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking. Just hear the question. Is Jesus the king of your life? And if not, I, I want to invite you in this moment just to say to God, the king, I know, oh God, that I have sinned against you. I have rebelled against you but I believe that Jesus has died on the cross for my sins. He's died to redeem me. So I place my faith like a child in Jesus. Trust in you as king. And I want to enter into your kingdom now and for all of eternity. Oh God, I pray for that miracle to be happening all across hearts right now. And for all of us who have experienced this miracle, who have entered into the kingdom, God, we pray, help us not just to hear your word today. Help us to do what it says. Make us a people who humbly and eagerly receive your word. Like all week long, every day this week. And patiently and trust, and patiently and confidently trust your work. And God, we pray you would use us to spread the good news of the kingdom. Can you just pray right now for individual people coming to your mind, friends, family members, neighbors, coworkers? God, God, give us boldness to share the gospel with these people that are on our minds right now. This week, don't let us be silent. Don't let us be silent. Help us to speak the gospel. We pray that you would bring more people into the kingdom this week. Please, here in this city, God, we pray for our brothers and sisters who've been sent out from here into all kinds of places in the world. Think about Mauricio, who I was just meeting with this morning, sowing gospel seeds in Normandy, France. Bless him. Wife Rachel, their kids, their family, the church, that small seed of a church. Bless them, God, for the spread of the gospel. Among so many different nations and peoples you've brought to that city. And God, may this seed grow and sprout in 
ways far beyond what we could ask or imagine in each of our lives and in our life together as your church, as this outpost of your kingdom. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, the King. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.